Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you uh, that it is living and it's active and it's true. And Lord, we gather around the truth of your word. And Lord, we thank you that um, what we have sung and what we have seen today in baptism is a reflection of the truth that we are here to proclaim that we are the people of God. And the reason we are the people of God is because of what Christ has done for us, his life, his death, and his resurrection on our behalf. And because of that, we who deserve death receive life, we receive forgiveness, we receive uh, an inheritance to be with you forever. But also, we, Lord, have the identity as your people. May we walk in that today. Would you take just a moment to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word this morning? Lord, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to show us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, amen. Well, good morning again. It is uh, good to be together. We're continuing this series on the book of Nehemiah. Um, and Lori, you have Clayton to thank because I actually was going to have you read more verses than that. Um, and the rest of chapter 3, Nehemiah 3, for 32 verses is like that. It's some name we can't pronounce, some person we don't know, some you know, gate or wall that we don't understand. They're going to set the bolts. They're going to fix the bars. It's, this is what they do, and this is what Nehemiah 3 is all about. And so what do we do with a chapter like that? I mean, even if we found kind of in the archives a, a list of all the people that built this church, oh, they built the basement, or they built the steeple, we'd be like, that's neat, but we probably wouldn't read it. Right? We just put it away somewhere and go, okay, we have this as a record of, of what's there. And the book of Nehemiah is about the building of the wall around Jerusalem. That's what the book of Nehemiah is about, but it's about so much more than that. And so we get chapter 3, which is this detailed account of exactly who built what. But it's really about this idea of the people of God being restored. It's more than just rebuilding a wall. It's rebuilding the people of God. In fact, it's even, in a sense, a revival of the people of God and the purpose and the identity that they have as the people of God. And so I wanted to remind us a little bit about where kind of this all started, that when we are in Nehemiah and when we are looking at this rebuilding of Jerusalem, it's easy for us to get kind of lost in the details, but to miss the fact that who the people of God were called to be was very essential and important. Right from the beginning, I mean, right in the beginning of Genesis uh, 12 with Abraham, God said, I'm going to make you into a nation. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing to all other nations. Then you fast forward to Moses, and and I want to read this, Exodus 19, where you get this passage where God says who the people uh, of God are. And and this passage is so powerful because it describes their identity and their purpose. Uh, Exodus 19, verse 5, look with me. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice... And keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel, God tells Moses. They're a treasured possession, God's own people. They're a kingdom of priests, meaning, uh, what does a priest do? A priest takes people to God. So a kingdom, a nation that would help all other nations around them see who God was and want to worship him. 
to be a holy nation set apart so to show that they are God's possession and who's God? The one who is, who can say, all the earth is mine. This is who they are called to be. This mission, this distinctness as a people, this is who they are. And yet we fast forward all the way to Nehemiah and we recognize that the people of God have lost this. Instead, they've said, we kind of want to be like them. We want to be like other nations. We want to be, we want to look differently. We want to have what they have. And instead of being the people they were called to be, instead of having this identity and this purpose that was so set to be on mission to help all the nations of the world hear about God, they lost it. And because of their unfaithfulness, because they would not worship God, because they chose to look like other nations and worship other gods, God brought discipline. And the discipline there, in particular discipline here, was that Jerusalem, their city, their place, Jerusalem, the city of peace where God dwelled, was destroyed. The temple where they worshiped God was destroyed and was completely decimated. And the people of God were then brought into exile. And now you continue fast forward and, and the nation of Persia is in charge and Cyrus lets some people go back and they build the temple. But the Artaxerxes, when he's leading uh, Persia, he says, this city, they might rebuild and then rebel. So let's hold that off. But as we looked at a few weeks ago, Nehemiah says, this city is in ruins. We've got to rebuild the city. And he prays and he walks by faith and he uses the influence that God has given him to ask the king if they can go rebuild. And the king says, yes. So Nehemiah is coming back to rebuild. And what does he see? The city is in ruins. The gates are destroyed. Now the gates are where kind of everything happened in in an ancient city. This is where justice happened. This is where business happened. This is where culture happens. If if you're going to see how a people are distinct, it's going to be at the gates. But the gates are destroyed. And then the walls are destroyed as well. And the walls are are what provides the protection. But it it also allows for the flourishing because if the walls are are knocked down, then people are kind of like, this is an unsafe place to be. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave and go back to other nations, the, the very thing that got them in this place where they are. And so this is what he sees. These walls and these gates are, are decimated. But what's it really about? It's about the people. It's about the identity and the purpose it wasn't just the walls that were in ruins. It's the people. And so Nehemiah is called to bring leadership to this. to say, let's rebuild the identity and the purpose as we rebuild the walls and the gates of the city. And one way to look at Nehemiah chapter 3, as opposed to a bunch of names we can't pronounce and places we don't really understand, is to see that it is the establishment of the identity and the purpose of God that God has given his people to be about so that the flourishing of the city allows them to be back to who they were. Now, that's the Old Testament. Let me flip all the way to the New Testament. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says something about the church that is almost identical to what God said about the people of God in Exodus 19. Look with me, verse 9. But you, the church are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is he saying? That we, 
Those of us who believe in Jesus, those of us like Garrison who are identified in Christ, we are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood, the same thing, a kingdom of priests to bring people to God, that we are a holy nation. We're meant to be set apart. For what purpose? So that we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were once not a people, but now we are a people. And so this identity and purpose that we have as the people of God, it's essential. And so I don't want us to miss this when we're looking at Nehemiah 3 and the rebuilding of the wall, that this is really about identity and purpose. And for us as the church, as the people of God, universal, we have to keep this in the forefront, the identity and purpose of who we are. Now, how do we restore that? How do we rebuild that? How do we continue to to let that be who we are and engage in that and not go kind of like the Israelites said, "Ah, I kind of just want to be like them. Ah, I kind of like the way these other nations look. I'll go there. But instead say, no, we're going to remain firm in who God has called us to be. Uh, This chapter, I think, gives us some insight into that, to how we continue to rebuild, to reconstruct, if you will, the identity and the purpose that God has given each one of us. Now, as I said, when we read this, we, our, our eyes glaze over. We go, okay, I don't know who these people are. And, and so our eyes glaze over. And, and as our eyes glaze over, we go, I don't really know what this is about. But as we do that, I want to make a few observations about this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3. And the first one <clears throat> is that, yes, these are people we don't know. But this is person after person. These are real people in a real time. And so what does that tell us? That tells us that that identity and purpose for the people of God are rebuilt as each one participates. Each one. I think there's a tendency sometimes for us uh, in the church to think that um, the super Christians are the ones who live on mission. The ones that we have out there, that we they have a card and we pray for them because they're missionaries. They're the ones who, who we send overseas or, or in the same city to, to be missionaries. But yet, Jesus had this every single kind of time he talked about following him. He talked about mission. That an everyday normal part of following Jesus is about the mission of God. And so I think we miss that when we say, oh, this must just be what those people do. Every single one participates. In the same way that every single one participates in building the wall, everyone participates in this identity and purpose. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was uh, an Atlantic article titled, The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. So this is interesting. He's got a study that goes with it. Um, and this is the Atlantic article. And this is what the Atlantic says. It says that the shift of people leaving church is bad for our country in general, he says. Participation in a religious community generally correlates with better health outcomes, longer life, higher financial generosity, more stable families, all of which are desperately needed in a nation with rising rates of loneliness, mental illness, and alcohol and drug dependency. So he's making the case that the church is necessary. And so then he says this. He says, what if the problem isn't that the churches are asking too much of their members, but that they aren't asking nearly enough? So the problem in front of us is not that we have a healthy, sustainable society that doesn't have room for church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely, anxious, and uncertain of how to live in a community with other people. He says this was just indicting. American churches have too often become 
have too often been content to function as a kind of vaguely spiritual NGO, an organization of detached individuals who meet together for religious services that inspire them, provide practical life advice, or offer positive emotional experiences. He says, we've lowered the bar. We've made it about the individual, about sort of self-actualization. It's about the self. Instead of a community that participates and lives a completely different way of life. I think in some ways what the article is saying is that what the church has done is actually said, you know, I kind of like the way that looks over here, just like they did with the other nations. Let's look more like them. Let's lower the bar so people will keep coming instead of saying, no, what would this call to follow Jesus? This call to be the church is a high calling. There's something about this idea of what we need in restoring the purpose and identity that we have as the people of God, that is everyone participates. Everyone is called to the mission of God. It's interesting here. Notice, in, we read it, uh, but in the whole 32 verses, there's only one priest mentioned, um, Eliashib. He's the high priest, the Day of Atonement, which is actually Yom Kippur's tomorrow. They would go into the Holy of Holies. That was his job. But notice what he does here. He goes to work on the wall. And what he is the only priest mentioned, in fact, if you read the whole chapter, there's 44 different groups of people mobilized to do the work of rebuilding. Men and women, clergy and merchants, working class and ruling class. Uh, A book I read years ago by Greg Ogden, it's called Unfinished Business, Returning the Church to the People. He says the Reformation restored the scriptures to the people, but the job was only halfway finished. Today, the church is awakened to the truth that ministry is not just the domain of the clergy, but it belongs to the entire body of Christ, that God is moving her to complete her unfinished business of placing the ministry back in the hands of the people. Again, this is the mission here. The mission of God is all of the followers of Jesus, all of the followers of God are meant to participate in it. Everyone participating. Now, if you think about this task, this was an almost impossible task. It's a three-mile wall, and it's 40 feet high. That is a quite the endeavor now, but especially in the ancient world. And so unless everyone came out and and worked on their portion, unless everyone came out and said, we're going to be a part of this, they would not accomplish the goal. And so the purpose and the identity that they have as the people of God to be a kingdom of priests, they've got to restore the wall. They've got to set up the gate so they can be that nation to those other nations. And so this is, I think, what this is about. Again, not just the bars and the bolts. It's about being the people of God. Now, I want to notice a couple other things here. In verse 2, notice there's people from Jericho that came. Now, Jerusalem was not their home, but God called them to go and to be a part of what God was doing there. And sometimes God may call you to say, I'm called to go live out the mission of God in a different place. Maybe it's a different kind of ministry or a different different city or even, or a different group of people. Like I think of our uh, partnership with Northwest Community Center, which is less than a mile away, but it is refugees. Most of us probably do not have uh, everyday interaction with refugees, and yet this is an opportunity to say, I'm called to go and to live out the mission of God with people who live here but are refugees and who may have a completely different way of life. And so it's possible that God may prick your heart to serve in the mission of God where it's not in your backyard. He's calling you to be a part of that. There's another thing I notice here. Look at verse 8, chapter 3. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Hariah, 
goldsmiths repaired the wall. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now, why do I read that? Because these people were told their occupation. They're perfumers and goldsmiths. Why do you need a perfumer to build a wall? You don't, right? But that's their skill. That's their life. They're a perfumer, but they're called to, they want to be a part of what God's doing. And so they're saying, let's go, we're going to build this wall. We're going to be a part of what God is doing, even though their kind of individual-based experience is, well, I'm over here. I'll make you guys smell good. Everyone's called. It's not just the masons. It's not just the construction workers. In fact, those people aren't mentioned. It's everyone engaging in this. And I think there's times in which we're serving right down the middle, like right in the middle of what, oh, man, this is what I maybe even do professionally. This is what my life is, you know, about and and what I love to do. Those are great things. There's other times where we just go, hey, I've got to live out the mission of God because it's right in front of me, and I want to serve and be a part of what God's doing. Uh, You see this even involved with some of the dirtier work that comes about. Uh, Verse 14, Malchiah, the son of Rechab, ruler of district of beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it, and he set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Now, the junior hires are having a field day with this one today. Um, the, the dung gate. Now, what is the dung gate? It's, like, it's what it sounds like. The dung has to leave the city, okay? And so I'm imagining this, you know, guys are like, hey, okay, who's got the broad gate? Okay, thank you. Uh, who's got the sheep gate? Perfect. Who's got the dung gate? And it's sort of like everyone's like, don't make eye contact, right? No one has passion and gifts for the dung gate, okay? But look who does it, Malchiah. And he's a ruler. He's of the ruling class. It's, he's not above serving in this way. Again, it's, this is not about our individual sort of self-actualization. It's saying, how do I engage? Here I am, send me, Lord. It's to serve where God has you. So the first observation is restoring our purpose our identity is not actually becoming more individualistic. It's not uh, looking inward and saying, okay, how do I restore my purpose and my identity? It's actually jumping in and everyone participating in the work of ministry. It may seem backwards, but this is how we engage as the people of God to continue to be, to continue to participate and to be reminded of the purpose and the identity that we have. Secondly, a second observation I make is um, our purpose and our identity is rebuilt as we engage in ministry right where we are. Uh, Now, most of this chapter, as you kind of go on, um, I don't have this one on the screen, but I could read almost any verse. But verse 23, you see this. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. This, this goes on. It's opposite his house, beside his house. It's, it's the connection to where they live. And so what Nehemiah did as the leader is he said, if we're going to build this wall, probably the best way to do it is to have everyone look at where they live and say, you build that portion. And so there's something we see here about this purpose, this identity to live on mission. It's right where we are. The best place is right where you already are. It's a great principle for us. God is calling us to serve right in front of us. Now, there are missionaries who go other places, like, Jer- like the people who came from Jericho, say, we want to be a part of what God's doing. And, and some of us are called to go. And if we're called to go, then you go. But if we're not, then where we are is where we serve. It's where we are engaged. It's where we engage in the mission of God. Now, we talk about this a lot. There's a mindset here, I think, that 
we, that we want to have as believers in Jesus to say, where do I live? Where do I work? Where do I play? How do I engage with the people that God has put me in touch with there? Could it be professional? It could be affinity. It could be neighbors. Uh, we're blessed to be a blessing everywhere we go. We have the same identity. And I think there's this tension sometimes or this tendency to think, um, okay, in every situation I walk in, okay, what am I in this situation? I, I go into a restaurant, I'm a consumer. I, I go into work, I'm an employee. I, I, I go home, maybe I'm a parent. Uh, you know, I, I, maybe I'm a student wherever I go to school. I mean, these are the kinds of ways we tend to think of ourselves. But it's a shift to go, what if I think of myself as a royal priest? That the identity and the purpose that God has called me to be about is to be on mission for him. And so wherever I go in, if I'm going in as a consumer, if I'm going in as an employee, if I'm going in as a parent, to bring comfort, to bring truth, to bring hope. Maybe it's to meet a, a, a tangible need, to point to Jesus. Maybe it's to share the gospel, the context of what's happening in, the, in that moment. Before we go in, everywhere we go, do we have this mindset to say, I'm, I'm a royal priest. This is what I'm called to be about. For all of us, I think there's an opportunity to open our eyes to work at home. But where are we closest? It's in our own homes. And whether you're a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a mentor to kids, this is one of the best opportunities to reenact, re-envision the identity and the purpose that we have as the people of God. This is that slow drip. That slow drip of saying, this is why we do this, because we follow Jesus. This is that slow drip of saying, you know, this is what God is teaching me today, as we say to our kids. It's that slow drip of saying, you know, what, we're not going to do this. This is why we apologize to our sibling, because God has forgiven us. It, this is that opportunity to serve right where we are in our own homes and I don't want us to miss that. We are discipling our kids in something. Is it in the way of following Jesus? I think it's a worthwhile question to ask ourselves. And so again, making observations about this passage, the first is that identity and purpose are rebuilt through everyone participating. Second is that identity and purpose are rebuilt through working where we are. And the third observation is something that, again, if you read all these verses, you can't miss. 31 times in this chapter, he says, next to him, after him, it's this, he's doing this, he's doing this, she's doing this, she's doing that. It's this kind of next to them idea. And what's the point here? That our identity and our purpose are rebuilt as we work with unity. Yes, it's the individual records of so-and-so building such gate or such, you know, bolt or whatever. But it's one wall. And so you can't be like, hey, sorry, I'm working on the sheep gate and you're working on the broad gate. It, no, it's, it's all one wall that's going to surround the city to allow the entire city to flourish. Whether we're called to be a missionary, whether, call, whether we're called to minister at home, whether we're called to be a mason or a perfumer or a goldsmith, there's one mission. And the one mission is to point people to Jesus. It's always been the mission. All the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Exodus 19, they're meant to be a kingdom of priests so that all other kingdoms would, would follow God. All the way back to 1 Peter 2, where he says, this is who we are now as the church, as the people of God who were once not a people, but now we are a people. And as the people of God, we have one mission to 
as we call it, say here, declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. God is building something. And he's inviting all of us as a treasured possession, as a royal priesthood, to be a part of it. And there's one mission. I mean, it's, it's true of us here. One church uh, that has one mission. But even those in our city who, have, who go to other churches, it's one mission. There's this sense in which I think unity is such a value here that I think we, we could easily miss. It's one wall. In fact, I want us to look um, at Jesus's prayer for us in John 17. It's interesting, his prayer as he's with his disciples, it's one of the few times that he actually mentions us. Look with me, John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, the disciples that are with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. A generation after generation, he's praying for those who will believe in the Lord. And that's us. He says that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So in the same way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united, he says, I want the church, the universal, to be united towards one mission. And, and notice the, what he says, so that. What's the purpose of that? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The purpose is mission. He says, I'm praying for their unity so that they can be on mission. It goes all the way back to this, who we're called to be as the kingdom of priests. He says it again. He goes on, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. Love them, even as you have loved me. See, I think even though this chapter is <laughs> detailed account of a building, of a wall, of them building the wall, it's about the identity and the purpose as the people of God. It's about functionally the mission that the people of God have always been called towards. And I think for us, as we think about trying to maybe rebuild or, or maybe even reconstruct or just remind ourselves of the identity and purpose we have as the people of God, it means that everyone participates. No matter where you go, you are called on mission. It starts at home and where you, and where you go, where you work, where you live, where you play. But that it's also all one mission. It's a unified mission and vision that God has given us to point people to Christ, to be on mission for him and for his glory. And I think Nehemiah asks us this question. I think it's a question worth asking ourselves. We're all going to spend our lives building something. We're all going to spend our lives building something. What is it? What do we want to spend our lives building? Do we want to spend our lives building into the mission of God? That's what God has called us to do to invest in where he has called us to serve, where he's called us to love, where he's called us to share the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. That's our identity, and that's our purpose. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for your word that is, at times our eyes glaze over and we read it and go, okay, I don't really know why this matters. And yet, we're reminded 
that even the building of this wall is um, so much more than just a building of a wall. That it is about the identity and the purpose of the people of God. And so, Lord, would you remind us of who we are and why we exist? Would you remind us that we are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into this marvelous light? Or may we be people who want to be a part of what you're doing. May we live on mission. May it be right where we live, where we work, all the places that we go. May we see ourselves as a royal priesthood. And Lord, I pray that the ways in which we, we get distracted from that mission, just like the people of God did in the Old Testament where they wanted to be like others. They wanted to be like other nations. They wanted what they had. Would you recalibrate? Would you reconstruct? Would you rebuild and help our eyes to see this mission and this identity that we've always had and that we're called to invest in? Would you give us practical ways to invest in that mission today and not miss what you're doing in us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.